you have your Bible tonight, I'd like you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, please. We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes on Sunday nights. We've had somewhat of a break over the holiday time. But we're going back to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and tonight we're going to start reading from the start of the chapter, because that's where we're up to. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we'll read from verse 1 through to verse 7. Ecclesiastes 5.1 Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's vice is known by multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say, before, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error, Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also diverse vanities, but fear thou God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to uh, the house of God tonight. Uh, we thank you that we can consider, Lord, the things that are set before us. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would help us to listen for the word of God. Help us, Lord, to be attentive, and I pray, Lord, that we would be engaged, Lord, with your spirit tonight. Father, I pray that you would empower me, and I pray that you would help us all to see how we might learn from this passage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why did you come to church tonight? And that question is rhetorical in the sense that I don't want an audible answer, but I want you to answer it inside your own heart. Don't embellish the answer. Be honest. The Lord knows. Why did you come to church tonight? That's the first question. Second question. How did you come to church tonight? I'm not talking about the brand of your car or the manner of your driving, although that might have something to do with it. But in what spirit did you come to church tonight? What was the intent of coming to church you might think well that's a pretty judgmental way to start off a service don't be so judgmental well you might think at least I'm at church tonight at least I'm here <laughs> don't go asking questions about why I'm here at least I'm here I could be somewhere else I mean some here have been here for the morning service you might have been here for the child protection seminar this afternoon and you're here again tonight if you're looking for a pat on the back, you've come to the wrong service. Rather than giving ourselves a pat on the back for turning up, tonight we're going to consider a trap that church-going people can fall into. This is preaching for people who go to church. And so tonight you're not going to get out of it by saying, well, at least I'm better than that person who doesn't come. At least I'm better than that relative who's not even saved. This is a message for church-going people. It's right here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Derek Kidner, an Old Testament commentator, he claims that this passage is for, and I quote, the well-meaning person 
who likes a good sing and turns up cheerfully enough to church, but who listens with half an ear and never quite gets round to what he has volunteered to do for his God. If that sounds familiar to you, then this passage is certainly relevant. Solomon finished chapter 4 with an anecdote about a foolish king and a wise child who would one day become his successor. And he taught from that example the necessity of being teachable. If you want to be wise, you need to be teachable. And we remember that at the start of Ecclesiastes, Solomon uh, gives himself the title of the preacher. Uh, It's the message, it's the uh, author of the book is called The Preacher. And the preacher here finds an application for that message on being uh, puffed up or being unteachable. And so he does what any preacher would do when they find an application, that is he preaches it. And that's what we have at the start of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He preaches about thoughtful, humble worship. It is not enough in the words of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 to worship. It's not enough just to worship. It has to be thoughtful worship. It's not enough just to turn up. Solomon is preaching here at the church going or the temple going in his day, the praying and the spirit sensitive believers. That's who this message is directed towards. It's not directed towards the sinner who won't turn up at church. And the preacher warns us that there are evils that we can commit in worship. That's an interesting thought. There are evils that we can commit in worship. Worshipping God the wrong way can make God angry, can cause God to be displeased with us. Now, we know that God is holy, God is just, God is reasonable. Therefore, God is not just going to accept any old thing thrown at his feet, which we might seem to call worship or be content to call worship. And so there is a danger, not just in idolatry, not just in atheism or false religion, but there is a danger in the careless worship of the true God. Tonight we're going to have a look at three ways, or there are three ways in this passage tonight, we'll just get through two of them. Three ways that we can avoid the danger of unthinking worship. First of all, the first way we can avoid it is to have a fearful foot. A fearful foot. Let's have a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 1. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. When the Bible speaks about the foot of It's talking about that which causes us to go. And that's the way that it's used here in this passage. It says, keep thy foot when thou goest. The foot is the thing that causes us to go specifically here into the house of God. And so watch your step when you're going into the house of God. Might be a way that we could read this declaration by Solomon or this entreaty by Solomon. Be careful how you approach the house of God and be careful how you walk or act, we could say, while you're there. Be careful when you're in the house of God. And some might say, or some might encourage themselves on the thought, and I know this because I've probably been here before myself, God's just glad I'm here. 
God's glad that I'm here and turning up to church tonight. I could be anywhere else. That's sort of true. God is glad you're here, but not, that's not the end of the matter. God is not just glad that you're here. That's not what this verse says at all. This verse says that that's a step in the right direction, but that we need to be very careful when we take that step in the right direction. Yes, go to the house of God, but be careful when you go or how you go to the house of God. And the house of God, the expression that Solomon was referring to, was in his day, of course, the temple, the place where they went to offer the sacrifices and to hear the word of God read and to sing the Psalms. It was a very important part of Jewish worship. And that guides what we read in the following verses when we talk about the sacrifice of fools and so forth. Now, that worship happens in the church. We are in what we can call the house of God, not because this is where the presence of God dwells, well, it is today because Christians are here and that's where the presence of God really dwells within the hearts of believers. But this is where worship happens. And so we can apply this primarily to the church and to the corporate worship of Christians in the church. But I suppose we could also apply it more broadly to everywhere where the temple of the Holy Spirit goes, which is you and I as we walk in our Christian lives. But primarily, I think it's to corporate worship of God's people. Now it's interesting to me that the preacher assumes that we would go to the house of God if we're worshippers of God. He assumes that we would go to the house of God. Of course we would. <laughs> of course we would. We shouldn't pat ourselves on the back for just going to the house of God. You don't pat a cow on the back for going to the feeding trough. Of course they would. It's plain and simple. The question is how are we coming to the house of God? Not just are we going to that basic necessity of the Christian life, but how are we coming to the house of God? With what attitude do we approach worship and go through worship when we come to the house of God? Then how can we come to the house of God the right way? If we're going to ask the question of in what way do we worship God, well, what way is right? How should we judge ourselves in this manner and what's the right way to approach it? How can we worship meaningfully might be another way to state it. Well, I think what Solomon goes on to say after he gives that warning is a clarification. He goes on to say this, Be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. I think this is how we can keep our foot when we go to the house of God, or at least one example of it. Be more ready to hear. Well, what are we listening for? When we go to the house of God, what, we, what should we expect to hear, well, quite simply, we should expect to hear the voice of God. It is the house of God, and so we should expect to hear the voice of God. Now, you might say, well, Solomon heard the voice of God in his day. Well, no, he didn't. <laughs> Even Solomon in his day in the old temple in Jerusalem never heard the audible voice of God speaking in that temple during a normal worship service in Jerusalem. When they heard the voice of God, it was by the reading of the law. The reading of the word of God, the singing of the inspired Psalms, they were the ways that they could hear the voice of God. And you know what? It's the same thing for us. The way that Solomon heard the voice of God or what Solomon should have been listening for is the same thing that we should be listening for. The word of God, as it is shared, not from God's mouth, but from the mouth of his servants. And so we are urged to be ready to hear. 
How do we do that? How do we be ready to hear? It's not like being ready to run. That's a very easy thing to be ready for. You get set and you go as soon as the gun goes. How do you be ready to hear? Well, the first thing is that we need to expect that God will speak. The first way to be ready to hear is to expect that God is going to say something. (laughs) You're not going to be ready to hear if you're not expecting to hear God's voice. And recognize that we are going to need to listen. I'm not surprised if many people come to church thinking it's good for me to be here. I'm around Christian people. I'm doing Christian things and then I go home. But we need to be ready to listen. Understanding that there are things that we need to learn. Things that we need to be challenged on. And so being ready to hear has the expectation that God is going to speak. And that I have a need to hear what he's going to say. Some ways we can be ready to hear. The other way that we can be ready to hear is to be willing and not stubborn. I wonder how many times we come to church having already decided what things we're willing to change and what things we're not willing to change. These things are not ready to change yet, Lord. And so if there's preaching on that, I'm not going to move. I don't know if we ever say it so um, straightforwardly. But being ready to hear has to have the attitude of, if God speaks on this, I'll be willing to do something. I'm ready to listen to whatever God has for me to say. We have to have decided that we're willing for change to occur, that we are surrendered when the word of God is going to be preached. But if you notice the command, if we look at it more um, in depth, it's a comparative command. It says, be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. It's a comparative thing. And the sacrifice of fools, we could just simply define as a meaningless offering. It's an empty sacrifice. Now in Solomon's time they were actually bringing sacrifices to the temple and they were offering those sacrifices but a sacrifice of fools is the person who came to the temple not ready to hear what God wanted to tell them or learn what God wanted to teach them but they were just coming to present their sacrifice and then to do their duty and to leave. That's what Solomon talks about as the sacrifice of fools. Now, we don't come here on a Sunday to bring an animal to be sacrificed. But we do come in order to serve the Lord. And in many ways, we can present our sacrifices to the Lord. And in many ways, that's a good thing. Uh, We can sacrifice the things that we have earned in giving in the offering. That's great. We can sacrifice our time in being here at church. Uh, We can sacrifice uh, our own priorities in giving in to God's will when he challenges us upon that we can sacrifice uh, our other time in giving to other people and serving other people in the church and so there is a way that we serve God it's what we do when we come to church but what Solomon is trying to get across here is that we have to be very careful that walking into the house of God is not just about me doing my stuff and then leaving don't just turn up teach your lesson give your tithe pray and walk out Coming to church is more about what we get than what we give. Not necessarily from other people, just 
taking, 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 but hearing from God. Coming to church has to be a spiritual thing before it's a personal service thing. And we've got to be very careful not just to eliminate service, because that's a ridiculous way to respond to this verse. But we have to be very careful that we're not coming to church to show God what we can do and then go home. That would be a sacrifice of fools, an empty sacrifice. We might come to the house of God ready to speak more than we are ready to listen. And that's a difficult thing to figure out for what preachers should do, isn't it? And yet the Lord is still speaking. We might come more ready to do great works rather than to seek the Lord and his voice. And so here's the question, is that why you're here tonight? Are you here to pray? Maybe give something in the offering? Maybe sing? Maybe speak to someone and encourage them and then go home? If you are, you've missed the main point of church. You've missed the main point of God's house. It is good to be here. But just because we go through the tradition doesn't mean that we've achieved anything this verse is a warning against vain repetition if we come here and just go through the order of service and we don't find meaning in the things that we do we've missed church we've not kept our foot we've not guided our foot when we came to the house of god it's a warning against competitiveness in service in thinking about how I pray up in front of other people as compared to how other pray. In thinking about how I play the piano as compared to how other people play the piano. Thinking about how my lesson goes up the front as compared to how other people's lessons go up the front. It's not about us. It's about hearing. It's about having the Spirit of God work upon my heart and be changed to be more like Him. There's a warning against what I've called Christian karma. <laughs> if I come to church, God will give me good luck this week. Don't think that. <laughs> Don't be tempted to think that. It's a warning against any form of worship that is not focused on drawing near to God as the primary reason for coming to church. We come to church to draw near to the Lord and to hear from what he's got to say to us. And so this is a good example for us to check our heart. Ask the question, not just am I coming, but am I coming the right way? Because God warns us that those who treat his house in that way, they're not just wasting their time in worship. It's worse than that. He says, for they consider not, sorry, they consider not that they do evil. Those who offer the sacrifice of fools don't consider that they are doing evil. They're not just doing neutral. They're not just wasting their time or missing out on the blessing of church. They're doing evil. We can commit evil by doing worship the wrong way. How does empty worship become evil? How can we get to that length? That sounds like a long way to go, a long bow to draw. Well, it's not really. It makes perfect sense. If we focus on other people and compare ourselves to them, if we focus on ourselves and our service, rather than focusing upon God, or if we're, con if we're distracted with other thoughts outside of what's going on here, rather than thinking about God and what he's trying to say, then we're substituting other things into God's place. Isn't that idolatry? 
when we take something else and put it in the place of God, especially when we're doing it in his house. This is God's house. If we take something else and put it in God's place, that is idolatry. That's evil. We have to keep our feet when it comes to worship. Make sure that coming here is about hearing from the Lord first. It's about my relationship with God. Not our service, not our friendships, not finding even a pat on the back. We have to have a fearful foot when we come to this place. The second way that we can avoid messing up worship or having problems in that area is having a measured mouth, a fearful foot and a measured mouth. Let's have a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 2. Be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon the earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. That's a great verse, isn't it? Succinct, powerful, shows us our place. This verse once again reminds us that the context is in corporate worship. Notice those words. Um, let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. And that idea of being before God is talking about being in the worship setting and it fills in with it falls in line with being in the house of God. But which words is he referring to here? What's he talking about when he talks about speaking in the area of corporate worship? There's only one person speaking now, isn't there? It doesn't really seem to fit with corporate worship, but it does. Perhaps he's talking about singing. That's one way that we speak when we come to church, isn't it? We sing, and that's certainly something they did in the Jewish temple as well. But this reference seems to be about speaking that's a little bit more spontaneous than the predefined psalms that you would find in the book of psalms that was already written down. It's a kind of speaking that you can see that Solomon is saying you have to choose your words. Well, they didn't choose their words when they were singing, really, did they? You can apply the principles of that fearfully coming and having the rightly guided feet in the way that we sing. But I think this is speaking about something else. I think verse 2 is speaking about prayer and the way we speak to God when we come to church, but also when we speak to God more generally. It speaks about talking from earth to heaven. Be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon the earth. We're uttering things before God when we're upon the earth and he's in heaven. Prayer. Be not rash with thy mouth is the warning. Don't speak without adequate thought. Or as I saw a pithy little sentence one time, ensure brain is in gear before engaging tongue. Have you read that one? It's probably something we should put on our foreheads and look in the mirror every day before we go out. Ensure brain is in gear before engaging tongue. I don't think I need to stand up before you tonight and prove that sometimes we can speak without thinking. I think you can go through even the last week and say, yep, I should have thought more before I opened my mouth then. Doesn't have to be proven. But what I want to do is to extend this to prayer. We don't just speak before thinking with people. Sometimes we speak before thinking with prayer. 
Now, while it's true that God is patient with us, and he is, he's very patient with us. He listens to us. And of course, the prayer of his creature is going to be much less than the intelligence of the creator is used to thinking. But we ought not be rash when we speak with God. We ought not to rush into saying things, to speak without adequately thinking first before we speak with God. And the reason given in this verse is that he is in heaven. In fact, if we go even further, he's the king of heaven. He doesn't just live in a different place. He's the king of that place. And we're here upon the earth. There is a difference. And so if we want to put it in another way, remember our place when we speak with the king of heaven. David Gibson, in his book, Living Life Backward, he has this to say, and I think it was very insightful. Someone has said that when we pray, we tend to think it's like talking into a spiritual microphone with God listening on the other end through a set of heavenly earphones. But in fact, when we pray, God is listening to us with a spiritual stethoscope. Just like the doctor who says, let me hear you breathe. And she listens into what we cannot see and so learns the truth about us. And sometimes when we pray to God, the words that we say reveal to God where our heart is at. Not that he doesn't know already. Our words betray our heart. And so we have to be very careful about what we're implying in the multitude of our words when we pray. Sometimes we repeat over and over again our complaints to God about the way that things are happened. And we have to be careful that we're not implying to him unthankfulness. We have to realize what we're saying behind the words. Not to be complaining, doubting, disrespectful in prayer. Now, does this mean that we can only pray when we feel thankful, when we feel assured, and we feel reverential towards God? Is that the only time that we can pray? No, it's certainly not. And I would caution you against doing that because you'll hardly ever pray. <laughs> Prayer is part of the way we get there. But we should express the thoughts of our heart while remembering to whom we are speaking. Just because we're struggling with something in our heart doesn't mean that we can lash out to God in prayer. Why? Because he's in heaven and you're on earth. Remember your place. Just because you can't see his plan and you're doubting his goodness doesn't give you the right to berate God in prayer and say, I'm just sharing my heart, Lord. You're on earth. He's in heaven. Think about your words. And this probably refers primarily to those who would wax eloquent, not just in private prayer, but for worship purposes. Sometimes there might be a great speech of a prayer and they think that they'll be heard by God and adored by others because of the multitude and the fluffiness of the words that they utter. Jesus spoke about these sorts of people. Have a look over in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, we'll read through to verse 8. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, 
that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Now just notice they pray standing in the synagogues. This prayer is happening in the house of God too, right? Temple, synagogues. Verse 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. When we pray, God already knows the need of our hearts. He already knows what we're thinking. And when we pray, that is contrasted sometimes with the froth of our lips. And they don't go together. When we pray, we ought to say what we mean. Pray directly. Don't pray pretending we are something different. Don't pray pretending we're thinking something different because God's not that foolish that he can't see straight through us. Say what you mean, but say it with respect for he's in heaven and we're upon the earth. In the words that Solomon uses back in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 2, because of that, let your words be few. And this is not a justification to have a really short prayer time and just get out the door. It's not talking about that. Rather, pray sincerely. Let your words be few. Chop it down. Say what's in your heart. Don't put out your prayer as per Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7. Don't think that you're going to be heard for your much repetition. Pray from the heart. Say what you mean and say it with respect. And Solomon goes on in verse 3. This is, might seem like a totally different idea, but it's related to verse 2. Ecclesiastes 5.3. He says, For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. One commentator summarized these thoughts this way. Work leads to many dreams. Foolishness leads to many words. And that's what Solomon's getting at here. If you work hard, you'll go into lots of dreams. If you're very foolish, you'll go into very many words. It's a comparison between the two. Now, he's not placing any moral value, positive or negative, on dreams. He's not contrasting that with foolishness or not. He's just saying this is a truism for work, and it's compared to the multitude of words that a fool speaks. It is a truism, says Solomon, that fools are talkative and often proudly talkative. It was either Maurice Switzer or Abraham Lincoln or Mark Twain, which basically tells us that nobody knows who said it, but they said these words. It is better to keep one's mouth shut and be thought a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. It's good advice. <laughs> Solomon's not telling us here that God wants us to keep our thoughts to ourselves. He's not saying that. He's not saying just bottle up all your feelings and all your thoughts and you can't express your troubles to God. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying rather stick to the truth and remember that as you're relaying your prayer needs to God and your thoughts to God, remember to be respectful. Remember you're speaking to the King of Heaven when you pray. 
And so we've seen just the first two ways that we can try and guard our worship when we come to the house of God. First of all, we need to have fearful feet. And next, nextly, we need to have measured mouths. It's good if our feet instinctively bring us to church. It's a good thing. Not every habit is a bad habit. Sometimes a good habit. But watch your step. Lest when you come here, you offer the sacrifice of fools. We come to the house of God to hear from God. Secondarily, we come to the house of God to help other people do the same. Maybe next week, let's ask ourselves, why am I going to church? And how am I going to church? And let's remember to walk with fearful feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this reminder. And I thank you, Lord, that it deals with us where we are. And it deals with the temptations that we have sometimes just to go through the motions. We would ask now, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to be wise in the way that we worship. Help us to be wise in the way that we come to church, the attitude that we have and the reasons that we have. And we pray that you would help us to be wise in the way that we pray before you as well. Help us to respect you and to honor who you are. Father, we thank you, Lord, that it is our blessing to come and to worship the King of Kings. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, to be able to do that to the way that would cause you pleasure. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless us as a church as we seek to worship you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.